0: Today we are going to be reading from the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bible, you can turn with me there to Ephesians chapter 5, I believe. And this is Henry Ford. Way to start Mother's Day, huh? Henry Ford! Henry Ford is an incredible leader. And he did one of the most amazing things in American history. He looked around at his people who worked for him, and he said, the people who work for me, they don't have time to drive the cars that they make, and they don't have the money to buy them. And so Henry Ford did something that is almost unheard of. He used his leadership not to enrich himself, but to bless the people who he led. And he looked at these people, and he said, I'm going to give them two days off a week instead of one. He doubled the amount of time that they had off. And then he did more than that. He looked at their work week, and they were working six, nine-hour days. And instead, he changed it to working five, eight-hour days, going from 54 hours down to 40. And then, on top of that, now imagine if you went into work and they told you this. They said, you're going to give you twice the amount of time off. And then throughout the week, you're going to work about a quarter less of hours. And then not only that, not only going to work a lot less, we're going to double how much you make. And Henry Ford took the average worker's salary, which was at $2.34 a day for nine hours, and he doubled it to $5 a day. Now, I know that sounds like nothing because the government keeps playing with the money and then keeps going, but that's double the amount of money that they were making for the same amount of work. That's incredible generosity. That's amazing stuff. And Henry Ford was a rare leader who used his leadership not to enrich himself, which which is what most leaders do, they look at their followers and they say, how can I use these people to bless myself? But instead, Henry Ford looked at it and said, how can I bless these people? And that's incredible leadership. Good leaders sacrifice for others. And they use their leadership not to serve themselves, but they use it to serve the Lord primarily and to serve other people. And today we're going to talk about how God will bless our marriage and we're going to primarily look at how God will bless our marriage through the leadership structure that he's established through the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're calling this sermon series When Marriage Hurts, Jesus Heals. And we've been talking about how the gospel of Jesus Christ is so essential to our lives. It's the only thing that reconciles us to the Father, Jesus Christ's death on the cross, and our repentance of our sins and our faith in that death is the only thing that's powerful enough to reconcile us to God the Father. And then as we go through life, God unites and Satan divides. And while God's gospel unites us with him, His gospel also unites us with others, and the only thing that I can think of that's powerful enough to unite people in marriage is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so we've been talking about how when two sinners come together in marriage, they sin against each other. And the only thing more powerful than sin, the only thing to keep two sinners from driving each other apart as they sin against each other over time, is the healing gospel of Jesus Christ, the power of Jesus Christ's death on the cross, and our repentance And our forgiveness in that is the only thing that's powerful enough to heal our marriages and help people grow together over time rather than apart. And so we've been calling this, When Marriage Hurts, Jesus Heals, because his sacrifice and his gospel is more powerful than any of our sin. And today we're going to talk about leadership within the marriage— because good leaders sacrifice for others. Henry Ford sacrificed for the people in his company as the head of the church. Jesus Christ sacrificed himself for the church. And in the family, fathers sacrifice for the good of their wife and of their children. And so we're going to read about what this type of sacrifice looks like in Ephesians chapter 5, 22. And today on this Mother's Day, we've got a very... Special verse, it's wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now wait a minute, is this a practical joke or is he serious up here? (laughs) This guy's not going to get invited back to preach. What is he doing? It's Mother's Day. We're going to look at one of the most uh, misunderstood passages and one of the passages that I received the most critique of any passage, I think, in the Bible in the last 50, 60 years. It's this passage right here, and we're going to read it on Mother's Day because it's God's good word, and it's healing, and God's word is always good. And so we're going to take a look at it on Mother's Day. And people and critics have twisted this verse. They've critiqued it. They've said it doesn't apply, but God's word always applies, and it's always good. And today we're going to read not just... Just this verse, but the rest of the passage, which will put it in context. And wives, you're probably sitting there. Why did I come to HCC on Mother's Day and hear this message? I'm not coming back next week. But just give me a few minutes, and it'll be good, because God's word is good. And I'm I'm kind of making light. I'm kind of joking, but it's it's a really sensitive subject, and for good reason. A few years ago, uh, we had a men's retreat, and um, I remember when I was a kid, and uh, hearing my dad tell me the stories of what his dad did to his wife. And one men's retreat, you know, we got together, and we're talking, and we're sharing these stories about all the things that we've heard our dads say that their dads did to grandma. And so it's a very sensitive subject for very good reasons. Because of sin, the power that God has given to men to protect and provide has all too often been used to control or abuse instead. And that's, you know, how do you, what do you say about that? That is evil stuff. And then people look at this verse and... I think in general we can be super positive About the relationship between men and women in marriage Uh, I think we're kind of at a uh, uh, Over the last, you know, what, 70 years We're kind of at a a, a height Of the criticalness of of the relationship between men and women Uh, Satan's, you know, not to go into this too much But it's like Satan's so incredible I never thought that he could devalue both genders With such efficiency at the same time Um, And so Because of some of these things, you know, we have this idea that men are oppressors and women are victims, and while that definitely happens, I don't think that's an accurate portrayal of what the relationship between men and women is now or what it's been through history. And there's certainly sin, but if you look through history, I think the relationship between men and women is one of absolutely outrageous and incredible cooperation. And when you look at what it takes to survive in the world, it took incredible cooperation. And if you read books that go back in history, and I've mentioned it a lot, but it's a book that we've been reading. It's a long series, so we just keep reading it. It's the Little House in the Prairie series. And the cooperation required between men and women is absolutely phenomenal to survive And so I think when you look at the history of men and women, you can say that it is one of love and sacrifice and cooperation. I don't think we need to turn and look and categorize and become sexist in our portrayal of either gender. I think we can be proud as people about how our ancestors have gone about things and worked together, but that does not mean that there has not been significant sin. And because of the significant sin of men abusing their wives. This is a very sensitive subject, and for very good reason. And when you think about the context of the last 60 years, and to a certain extent, a certain godliness in calling out that abuse, and talking about that abuse. You know, every once in a while, I criticize the feminist movement because it's definitely jumped the shark and has gotten so ridiculous in so many ways. And my mom will say, well, you know, back in the day, if a wife was being abused, she had no way to provide for themselves, and so there was nothing for her to do, and nowhere for her to go. I think, yeah, that's a a good point, Mom. And so, as a result of sin, we look at some of these verses, and we think of the context in which we've heard, and we've heard the world say, and some of that is definitely godly, and it's definitely not good if the world calls out Sin before Christians do. But definitely they do that sometimes. And when we read the Bible, we should have been calling out abuse. And I don't know. I wasn't around. Maybe we were. I don't remember. But I don't feel like in history the church was the one to really start calling out the abuse of women. And uh, definitely that should have been happening. And it should happen today. And abuse is sin and it's evil. But when you look at that context of the culture calling this out and putting an emphasis on it, and you read these verses in that context, and you put it in that context, it can seem quite disgusting. And it feeds into the narrative that the world wants us to believe is that the word of God is antiquated, it's bigoted, it's whatever. But if you read this, the answer to abuse is not less scripture. It's not less of this verse and the verses afterwards. The answer is more. The answer is not to avoid God's word, but it's to read God's word and read it and apply it to your lives. Because the answer to the sin in a marriage is held in these verses. The answer to all of the sin in a marriage is held in these verses. And some people look at these verses that we're going to read today and they say, What well, we shouldn't talk about? Like, we're going to focus on the gospel, right? We're not going to we're not going to talk about these things. Why would we talk about these things in a culture? They're not going to understand them. We'll, we'll hope that they get this in their small groups, and on Sunday mornings, we'll just focus on the gospel. But as you read the Bible and you read the letters of Paul and the letters of the disciples, this is an integral to the gospel, this isn't peripheral. These passages on how to treat each other, they are not just found in one passage. They are found in multiple books of the Bible. There's this passage in Ephesians. Paul repeats the same thing in Colossians. Peter repeats the same thing in his letter. And if you read through 1 Timothy, there's strong themes of this as well. And the reason why is this is not peripheral. This is how to apply the gospel of Jesus Christ to our homes. The fact that Jesus Christ died on the cross for our sins and sacrificed himself out of love for the church to save them has implications on our relationships and on our marriages. And today we're going to talk about leadership and we're going to talk about how the leadership of the home is to be ordered and it starts with the sacrifice that wives are to make. And critics of Christianity attempt to connect these verses with abuse and bigotry. Almost to the point of where I read this, it's like, oh, you know, can we read this out loud? <laughs> The world has gotten so effective at criticizing and slandering the word of God. They've done such an excellent job of connecting this verse with abuse that you read God's good word and you don't even know if it's good. I mean, are we allowed to talk about this? And if this scripture is connected to abuse or used to justify abuse, then the problem was with the critic and the abuser. Abuse is a sin, and this verse has nothing to do with abuse. This word is good. This word is godly. It's God's wisdom. This verse isn't about submitting to abuse. It's about following the godly leadership of a husband who is guiding you and your family towards godliness as the Lord leads the church. And we're gonna continue to read those verses, but before we do, this is the picture that Paul is painting here. Our society paints a different picture, but if you read the verses, this is the picture that Paul's giving, and it's not antiquated, and it's not bigoted. It's fantastic, and if we all followed this, our marriages would be healed. And the message is this, as Christ leads the church, as the church follows Christ to godliness, The wife is to be led by her husband to godliness. How does Christ lead the church? That should be how the husband leads the wife. How does the church submit to Christ? That should be how the wife submits to the husband. And so what does this look like? Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. As we're going to read now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And everything is a big category. And so it's a large category that the Apostle Paul is teaching and the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the husband has the leadership in the home, he has the authority, he has the responsibility, and he will be held accountable by God for how he leads the family. And so that's big. What does this look like? It's almost easier to define what it's not. It's not a power play to justify mistreatment, to demand the wife be silent, to demand her service or her submission. This is not a power play. This doesn't mean that the wife can't be right when the husband's wrong. It doesn't mean that the wife cannot influence her husband to do the right thing. It does not mean the husband does the right thing and the wife can't figure it out, and so she's got... Not at all. It doesn't mean that the wife cannot influence her husband. I like to say this is not a question of capability. It's not that your wife is less capable than you. The wife might be more capable than you, and a good leadership, a good leader, takes and recognizes the capability of those who've been given him as a responsibility and encourages them to use that gift. So it's not about a wife not being able to influence the family to do the right thing to do the better thing it doesn't mean that she's less capable, less smart, less intelligent, doesn't mean that she ignores her husband's flaws and doesn't speak up and isn't a part of the accountability process. Doesn't mean that the husband always gets what he wants. That would be terrible leadership. Did Jesus get what he wanted in the garden? This is about the following of godly leadership of a husband who is leading your family towards godliness as Christ leads the church and we don't separate these this verse we won't separate this verse from the verses that follow nor will we separate it from the rest of the bible. To submit to ignorant or moral behavior would we'll go against the rest of the teachings of Jesus Christ. And so when it says submit in everything, it's, it's assuming that the readers have read the other parts of the Bible. And we should not be following anybody before we should be following the Lord. And so wives should obey their husbands and submit to them, but they should be following God. They should be following God themselves. And when the situation is not complicated by unbiblical or ungodly behavior, this verse carries a real challenge to the women in this room, just as the following verses will carry a real challenge to the men in this room. But because of the cultural sensitivity, the church has approached this now for such incredible time and sensitivity. You know, I was listening to a Chuck Swindoll message the other day. Anybody listen to Chuck Swindoll? He used to be on the radio and I'd fall asleep. As a kid, I remember my mom would be listening around the house. I listened to a Chuck Swindoll message, and he was just calling out the women. He's just calling them out on their sin and saying, You need to follow the Lord, and this is what you do, and this is what we're not doing. I was like, When was this message preached? 1920? Like, I just have never heard anyone talking about this. Because of the cultural sensitivity to physical abuse, the church has approached women for such time with such incredible sensitivity that I think we've done you a disservice. And while I want to be sensitive to the way this verse has been misapplied and how women have been abused and continue to be abused, if you're in a relationship where you need help, the church is here to help. One of the hardest parts about these verses is the husband is able to, through his strength, look to his wife and hold her accountable and say, submit, but who is there to hold your husband accountable to love you as Christ loved the church? And so I want to be sensitive to that. I can't be a good pastor if I'm telling you that this verse does not challenge you, ladies. It does. This is a challenge for you to follow the godly leadership of your husband. When the situation is complicated by unbiblical or ungodly behavior, that puts you in an incredibly difficult situation. And there's a tension there between how much sacrifice do you make? It's not God's will for people to be mistreated. And there's always a tension there between the sacrifice we make in our own personal health and well-being, how much we can take, how much we can go through, And we want you to be safe. We want you to be treated well. And if the church can help, please let us know. But there is a challenge here, and there is a sacrifice to be made. And so as you're sitting here on this Mother's Day, mothers, I want you to ask yourself, how are you doing following the godly leadership of your husband? And I had a person in my life, uh, I would call him a friend, but uh, he wasn't my friend at all. Uh, He was a person in my life who felt that he was so virtuous through his incredible tolerance of bigoted old me. And so we'd go through life and he'd be with me and he, (laughs) he just couldn't stand my beliefs. But he was so proud of how tolerant he was that he continued the relationship and we were talking one day about marriage and he heard my views on marriage and he heard my views on my marriage and how, and he felt, because mainly because he didn't even listen to what I'm saying, but he's viewing it through the cultural lens that he's been taught his whole life, he felt I was so bigoted. He said, I'd never treat my wife that way. My wife and I have equal say. There's neither of us that have authority over the other. And I was very close to this individual because he was in our friend circle and he was always with us. And I watched his relationship with his wife and I'm telling you, The word of God is beautiful. I watched this individual with his wife, and it was not ordered upon the relationship of Jesus Christ and the church. It was not ordered upon anything except this deception that they both had equal say. And I watched them as they decided what they would do, where they'd go to dinner, what they'd spend their money on, who would take care of the kids, and he always got his way. And he did so because his personality was so outrageously strong, his wife could never win any of these equal conversations that they had. And I said, You know, Steve, which is not his real name. (laughs) I said, Steve, you demand more of your wife than you do of mine. My relationship is ordered on Jesus in the church, and it's not perfect, and I'm not perfect. However, I would never treat my wife the way you treat yours. You see, your relationship is built on who is more stubborn and who is more selfish. And whoever gets the way in your relationship is the person who's willing to fight for it more or the person who's willing to sacrifice for it less, however you want to look at it. The wisdom of the Lord is in his relationship that he created. It's a testament not to our stubbornness or ability to debate or argue. His relationship is built on the love that he has for his people, and it was always that way because God knew what he would always do to save us before he ever created the world. And so when he created Adam and Eve, even before Christ and the church existed, even before he had established his relationship with Israel, he knew that this would be the way that people would see That relationship. The marriage that he created between Adam and Eve is a love which is not just supposed to be for each other, but be a witness to Jesus Christ or God's love for his people. And so my question to you is, does your marriage look like the one who is more selfish and stubborn leading? Or does your marriage look like one that's built upon the love and sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his relationship with the church? And I've gotten to know plenty of people with strong personalities, plenty of ladies with strong personalities who would say, I want my husband to lead, but then when he tries, they don't listen to anything he says. And he gives up and he rebels against leading because no one is following. And so ladies, I want to challenge you with the word of the Lord. Are you following the godly leadership of your husband? And I also want to say, now we're going to get to the part that the mothers here would probably really enjoy. The Lord's challenges towards the husbands and the men in the family. And ladies, if you think the Bible is unfair towards women, if our culture has influenced you, if you think the word of the Lord is unfair to you and oppressive to you, I want to instead have you read these verses, and I think objectively we could all agree that the stronger commandment is given to the men than the ladies. Just as Jesus sacrificed for his church more than the church sacrifices for him, here the Lord calls husbands to sacrifice for their wives and their families. And if you think submitting is a tall order, the challenge that the Bible gives towards men blows away the challenge that we just read. Says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and his himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. And therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And this mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's challenge. Thank you. Yeah. Praise the Lord. It's good. The challenge here to men is that you give yourself for your family and for your wife as Christ gave himself for the church. Now, what's harder to do? Is it harder to follow godly leadership? Or is it harder to love the Christ, love the church, love your wife as Christ loved the church? Is it harder to follow godly leadership? Or is it harder to sacrifice your life as Jesus has done for his followers? And the hard part, again, about these verses is that it's far easier for the husband to hold his wife accountable than it is for the wife to hold her husband accountable. But there is someone who holds your husband accountable, and it's the Lord. And so for the wife who has tried to encourage her husband to follow the Lord and had him not listened, and has been the subject of mistreatment, there is justice that is coming. The hard part is it's just not now. And may the Lord move and take justice now. (laughs) Because husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her and how did Christ love the church? Well, as it mentions here, he gave the church his word. He washes her with the word. As we've been talking in this sermon series, God wants our happiness, he desires our happiness, but ultimately we're happiest when we're close to him and that requires holiness. And so marriage isn't primarily about our happiness, it's primarily about our holiness, and through this relationship between the husband and the wife, we're to grow closer towards the Lord. This relationship is supposed to be so intimate that we our sin is exposed that our sin is apparent and that we're challenged on our sin by each other and that we repent of that sin to the Lord, to each other, and grow closer together to each other, that the gospel would heal our marriages where sin hurts it and be stronger than that sin and then bring us closer together and closer to the Lord. And so the husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church by bringing the word of the Lord and being accountable to the Lord for how he does that. Husbands and fathers are responsible for guiding their families towards godliness, and that takes knowledge of the word. And Jesus told the church the right way to go, and he told people the right way to go, and it caused conflict. And people didn't like Jesus, the people who didn't want to follow him. And likewise, fathers, as you try to lead your family to the word, it will cause conflict. There will be time where your wife does not want to follow you. There will be time where your children do not want to follow you. And as a good leader, you will be reading the word and you are primarily responsible for bringing this to your family. It doesn't mean that the husband's always right. It doesn't mean that the wife can't challenge her husband with the word. It means that the Lord, husbands, will hold you responsible. And so many men avoid... This because they don't want the conflict. and While some men are physically abusive, it's just as sinful to be passive and to not step in and guide your family towards the Lord. This is the sin of Adam. Read Genesis chapter 1 through chapter 3 with this in mind, and it explains everything. Eve sins first. Adam's standing there doing nothing, sinning at exactly the same time. And when the Lord steps forward, and the Lord comes and says, What are you guys doing? He doesn't say, Eve. He says, Adam. She was the one who took the apple, but he was sitting right there with her by not guiding her and reminding her of the word of the Lord. And the Lord held him accountable. And what will you say when you are held accountable by the Lord? Well, I I didn't know. I was busy. I, it took a lot of time. I, I didn't, sorry, I didn't, I didn't know the word of the Lord. You didn't know the word of the Lord. You didn't have time. You knew exactly how many receptions Julian Edelman needed in week 13 in 2018 to see how you would get to the next round of the fantasy football playoffs. And you didn't have time to study my word. You know exactly who's on the waiver wire on Wednesday morning at 2 a.m. so you can pick them up, so you can advance in the league. You're subscribed to 300 channels on YouTube. You don't have time for me. How many husbands are dragged to church by their wives because they're too lazy, too foolish to know that one day they will stand and look at the Lord face to face and give an account for their lives. And Wives, if you aren't following the teachings of Christ, you should have a husband who's going to give a strong and loving challenge to get you back on track. And husbands, I know it's exhausting. Leadership is exhausting. But it's going to be more trouble if you don't. Leading a family is exhausting. Leading a family where the children are rebelling is exhausting. Choose which exhausting path you'd like. And Jesus was also not willing to just speak the truth. He was willing to take responsibility for the church. Even though we sinned and erred, it wasn't his problem. He stepped in and cleaned up the mess. He stepped in and took the responsibility and the punishment for the way that his family erred. And which is the greater challenge? To be such a godly leader that you're willing to sacrifice and give your life or to follow that type of leadership? Personally, I feel like the culture is wrong and they've misled you if they feel that the Bible is oppressive towards women I think they're wrong. I think if anyone has something to complain about, it's men because they are given the greater challenge. God is certainly not cruel to men either. This is God's good word. And the problems in our marriages will be healed if we follow it. If two people are following the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's impossible for them not to have a good marriage. Every problem in marriage comes for when one or both of us fail. And we'll do that regularly. But it's only the gospel that's strong enough to bring us closer together. It is in every area that the Father is responsible. When we stand before the Lord, man, He'll hold us responsible for how our family dealt with our finances, how our family attended church, how our family worshiped, how our family knew the Bible, how our family served others. We'll be accountable for all of that. All pass. Dear, would you like to take that one? <laughs> Good leaders use the resources of those under them. I had someone say, my wife is a teacher. She's gifted in teaching. Should I be the one to teach my family the word? I said, well, you should know it, and you should make sure you know it at least or better. But use the gifts and skills of your family. If your wife is a great teacher, then you get the kids together. You be the authority figure, because you're the one who's going to be held responsible for that teaching. And you're going to be responsible for the family that they received that teaching. So you get the family together and then let your wife teach. You better make sure that you know whether she's teaching is biblical or not because you'll be the one who answers for it. Just like God came to Adam first, God will come to you first. The role of male leadership has just been so devalued and destroyed in our culture. And you see the disgustingness of it. I was invited to a, a dance program by one of my youth students in high school. And, and ladies, this is one of those areas where the, you need to listen to your husband. And women do this, they like to be desired, and they want their daughters to be desired too in some sick way. I want no man to ever look at one of my daughters because I'm a man. But I'm sitting there and I went to support. I was like, well, I go to the soccer games and I go to the basketball games and I got invited and so I went to the... And this kid was fantastic and she grew up to be fantastic. And I love her family too. But I'm sitting there and they have her in a part of this dance thing and she's like scantily clad and she's like in sixth grade and they're dancing like strippers. And everyone's just sitting here watching this. I'm like, what is going on? Where are the men... Who stand up and say, you don't know. You don't know right now. Oh, How can you be a father and watch your children do this? I had to get up and I had to leave. And men, I have no idea what's going on in the men in that room. And dads, is mom the one who's left to guide her children to holiness? Because she's got massive blind spots, just like you do. If you give up on your part Is it mom who says those shorts are too short Ladies you don't wear pants anymore We would have never let our kids go out In that kind of clothing When dad had a voice in the family No one's looking at my daughter that way Put on a pair of pants Those are underwear we were going to the zoo and I tell Sarah all, t- all the time about this sorry dear but this is what they sell and so she comes home with her, oh, you can't wear that and we're going to the zoo one day and we got done and she goes I know because I, I we're walking into the zoo and it's just mom 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 and all you see is but 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 <laughs> the whole way in anyway <laughs> mom should certainly be involved But dad needs to be leading the way. And Jesus does not just lead with commandments. And a husband's leadership does not end with shepherding, it ends with sacrifice. I had one couple come in, and if you both follow the gospel, there's nothing you can't get through. And they came in, and I did some counseling, and and they said, you know, the wife was going to school, and moms, you've got it so hard now, you are expected to provide for the family and be the primary caretaker, It's way harder, thanks to what our culture has done to women. They have not made it easier for women. They've made it harder for you. Now you're usually not just taking care of the family. You're also providing for it too. And so this lady, like most ladies, she's going to work full time. She's on top of that going to school full time. And she's still the primary caretaker of the children. And her husband came in because they were having a fight because he wanted to go on a hunting trip. And as we're sitting there talking, I'm listening to this, and it's like, okay, well, you're supposed to sacrifice for the family as Jesus sacrifices for the church. What did Jesus Christ do for the church? Well, he gave his life and was crucified. And to me, it looks like you're crucifying your wife for the benefit of your family. She's going to work to provide. You're on board with her going back to school so she can get better jobs, so she can provide better, and she's taking care of the family, and you want to leave for a week to go hunting. What does sacrifice look like? And as we talked about it, he suggested it. If we're willing, it's incredible. If you're willing to follow the Lord, there's nothing you can't get through. I thought this thing is not going to go well, and he suggested it. Well, if she's going to school full-time and working full-time, it's only fair that I take care of the kids. It's like, praise the Lord for what he's done in this counseling session. I can't convince anybody to do anything. And yet here the Lord, as we've read his word, has convinced this man to take care of his children for the next four years while she goes to school. That's an incredible success story. And then it's how, how can we sacrifice? You want your wife to sacrifice for you so you can go on a hunting trip, how will you sacrifice for her? And they came up with a mutually agreed thing that he would do this, this, and this, so that she could do this, this, and this. And they left, and I thought, I have just witnessed one of the greatest miracles in the history of humanity. (laughs) Praise the Lord. And the husband has the right to pull out this passage and say to his wife, the Lord will hold me responsible for how I'm leading you towards him. And the wife has the power and the ability to take out this scripture and say, how are you loving me like Christ loved the church? If you want me to submit to you, how are you sacrificing for me? And if your hearts are both for the Lord, then you'll come together stronger than you were before. And this is not an oppressive passage. This is a healing passage. And if we follow this type of commandment, if we follow this type of example... If wives are making this kind of sacrifice, if husbands are making this type of sacrifice, then our marriages will be stronger and our families will be stronger. And husbands' leadership isn't easy. It doesn't matter if your wife is following you or not, you are still to lead in this way. How many husbands check out if they feel their wife isn't doing a good job of following? It doesn't matter. Jesus sacrificed for his people whether they were following him or not. At the last supper, Jesus goes around and he washes everyone's feet, not just the disciples that were doing a good job of following him. When he got to Judas, he didn't substitute some sandpaper for the towel. He didn't give him a little ankle lock because he's giving... Give it a little twist. That's the hard part about leadership, is you lead at all times. You're the leading. That's what it means to lead. If the other people aren't following, you're still leading. And that's the difficult part about leadership. Even if I'm right, and I always think I'm right, but even if I'm right and I think that she started it, it still doesn't justify an ungodly behavior or response. And so I have a lot of repenting to do. (laughs) But that is leadership. We lead. And it doesn't matter if people aren't following at the moment, we don't let them lead and do what they're doing. We continue to lead. Ultimately, fathers serve their families, they bring their families to God through the Word, and they sacrifice for their families and continue to lead even if their family isn't following. And the interesting thing is, more often than not, families follow dad. Here are some statistics. These are the most conservative statistics I could find in this area. Some have wildly different. Some have like 90% for in place of the husbands and like 7% in place of the wives. But this is the most critical Statistics I could follow. When you look at a father's leadership, if you think of a father and a mother being committed to their faith, if neither of them are committed to their faith, the Lord is so good that he reaches 20% of children to commit to him if neither of their parents are committed to him. Now in the family, wives are such amazing leaders that if they follow the Lord and their husband does not, 33% of their children will follow the Lord. That number jumps up by 13%. Now, the interesting thing is if husbands follow the Lord and their wives do not, 67% of the children follow the Lord. It doesn't matter what you believe. You might think I'm a bigot. You might think I'm a fool. The word of God might seem to you as foolishness today, but it doesn't matter what you think because this is the accurate facts of the situation. People follow Dad. They follow mom But people primarily follow dad No matter what their view of the family structure is And here God has blessed the family With this leadership And fathers what are you doing with it? And when both people follow the Lord 75% of the time the children come to the Lord This is Sunday school This is just Sunday school If neither parent attends Sunday school, somehow 6% of the children get there. If wives attend Sunday school and the husband doesn't, 15% of the children get there. If husbands attend Sunday school and the wife doesn't, 55% of the children get there. And if both do, 72% of the children get there. And dads, if you want your children to know the Lord, then you have to be the one to introduce them to him.